Every year at this time, we celebrate something we call Advent Conspiracy. We've been doing this for well over 10 years. Advent Conspiracy is our way to kind of reject some of that consumerism, materialism, um, individualism that unfortunately Charlie Brown found in 1965. It's our way to say, let's get rid of that and go back and figure out what is the root of Christmas. And we do this by taking some of our lives and sacrificing it for generous kingdom support. We usually pick one or two global or local missions partners. This year, we've decided to partner with Hope and Friendship, as we do every year, um, our local favorite and our local missionary, Terry O'Neill, by supporting people in our community locally with personal home care, goods, things of that nature. We've been donating them, and a lot of those have already gone out to our community yesterday. If you have not brought any in yet, and you're like, I still want to get in on that, please bring them. I mean, you can drop them off this week or Next week, we will find homes for those items, but the bigger way that we have decided to partner with our world to serve them is through our local mission partners in downtown Chicago in the neighborhood of Englewood, um, Charles and Kahindi Moody, who serve at the Chicago City Life Center. They are there. They work with the people who have been traumatized by life in the inner city, give them life skills so that they can go and bring transformation to their neighborhood. And one of the ways we are partnering with them is by helping raise $25,000 to do a project work where we can resurface the face of their building so that it doesn't continue to crumble because we know Chicago winters are harsh and they're harsh on us, so of course they're harsh on buildings downtown. So by doing that, by helping stitch and knit some of that brickwork back together, we are in a way helping Charles and Kahindi knit and stitch the lives of broken people in Englewood back together. So um, by doing that, we, in an effort to do this, we want to value three thi- or four things. It's worship fully, coming to God and saying it's all yours, spending less, sacrificing of our own, giving more so that by sacrificing our own, we can support others. And this week, we're going to talk about loving all. And this year, um, we are doing really well. We're at $13,817 of our Advent Conspiracy goal. That means we have about 11000 left to go. So I want to encourage you, as we've been praying through November and now December, about what gift God has called you to, I want to encourage you guys all to respond today so we can meet that goal. I don't care if you are the oldest person in the room or I saw... Trip Masty in here a little bit ago, and now I see Jeremiah over here. Jeremiah, there is a part that you can play in Advent Conspiracy as well. So whoever you are in this room today, if you have not given yet, I would encourage you to go above and beyond what you normally would commit to at this time of year, to seeing God's work being done in one of our own neighborhoods. Um, so to help us continue in fostering um, this focus today, I want to invite Brian and Ellie Tracy to come forward and read for us our last Advent reading. Love all. Christmas is a chance to move closer to those in crisis. We will love others as Jesus has loved us. The poor and hurting of our world can be reached by God through the way we choose to celebrate Christmas. Thank you, guys. All right. Well, Advent Conspiracy, it's our last week. Like I've said every week prior, this is really one of my favorite moments in our church calendar here at Lamont Calvary Church. It's that moment where we search for the hope that is in Christ rather than searching to check off every to-do list that we have for this Christmas season. In this search, though, as some of us may have already found out in weeks past, and definitely I think this week are going to find, the search to find Christ rather than finding those presents, rather than finding those last-minute dinner items, it creates this tension in us. 
And as I already referenced back in 1965, um, what was that, Randall? Oh, I'm already going. There is a video. Should we see it? All right, let's throw the video up. I'm out of order. Let's, let's have it go. Thanks, Corrine. When I think about love all, I think about the second greatest commandment, which is love your neighbor as yourself. God is love, and he wants us to show love to all people in this season. I think about the Good Samaritan. He was, you know, walking past and saw someone on the side of the road that needed help, and he stopped. While that person was in crisis, he was able to stop and provide for their needs. And I truly, truly believe that God wants us to take time to stop in this season to provide whatever maybe we need to provide for someone that's in crisis to show them the love of Christ by the way we treat them and provide for them. That was way better than whatever I was going to start with anyway, so. Um, but yeah, so Charlie Brown cuts this tension. Love all kind of cuts this tension. It's that tension that we all kind of ask, like, what is Christmas really all about? Because we know, we all know in our heads that there is something beyond Christmas, beyond the buy, 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 beyond the sale, 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 beyond the boxing and the wrapping, and be, certainly beyond the mountain of debt that sometimes comes with this season of year. There is something else about Christmas, something that was maybe led by a star in the sky, something that happened in a manger, something that maybe brought peace and great joy to all people. But in order to find peace, in order to find that great joy, we've really committed ourselves to um, conspiring against that hustle here at Lamont Calvary Church. And we've done that with those four values, worshiping fully, because nearly every character in the Christmas narrative, responds in this way where they bow down and they say, wow, this is the Messiah. This is the long-foretold Savior that we have been waiting for. Some by just radical presence, others by kingly gifts. We adventure this season to kind of do the same in bringing a humble adoration to the Christ child. The second is spending less. And this one's always hard, too, because this is kind of controversial, but we do not want to choke out generosity at this time of year. We want to amplify it. We want to see generosity grow. We want to see the way that we spend our time, our money, our resources be thoughtfully and prayerfully considered rather than just a knee-jerk reaction to the latest, newest thing. The third um, value is giving more. We believe that the greatest gift God has ever given humanity is the restoration of a relationship with him, and he does that through Christ. And so we, by giving more, we want to give relationship to God back through our time, our resources, our giftings, so that when we give, it gives with a purpose that points back to Christmas. And the last value that we're going to be talking about today that a lot of you guys have probably already been able to pick up on is loving all. Love all. Love all. It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. And as I was getting ready for this morning, I was like, man, what do, what do I really need to say beyond that? Like, guys, let's just go love all people. 
And so I thought, what if I asked a few of you to help me out? So, Micaiah, as I've been rehearsing this this week, I've had you in my mind the entire time. You're like, oh, shoot, I'm never sitting in the front row again. <laughs> Micaiah, if I were to ask you, what does love all mean, how would you define it? How would you explain it to somebody? I don't know. It's all right, because it's big. Love all is big. What if I asked, Bill, how would you describe love all? It's all right. We'll go to the back row after you. From the heart. Not be stingy. Yep. To even people who are different. Perfect. Outside of our circle. That's good. So from the heart, not stingy, and from people outside of our circles. I'm going to pick from Calvary South because sometimes I know you guys are feeling neglected over here. Donna. Help me out. What is love all? Loving those that are not lovable. That is so good. I love, I love this. I feel like we're really getting at the heart of what loving all is. But I want to suggest that this Advent value, not that anyone's been wrong, but I want to suggest that this value more than spending less, more than giving more, loving all is the most controversial Advent value we have to celebrate. What do I mean by that? To really unpack that, we need to lean a little bit into the readings that Pastor Randall has been going over the last month here. There have been readings from Isaiah, these long prophecies about a coming king, a Messiah, a prince of peace, a savior, someone who would put the wrongs of the world back in order. So to explain what I mean by controversy, we kind of actually have to get somewhat political. And we need to go back in time, 600 years, because for 600 years, foreign powers were pushing and shoving Israel, Israel around. And the whole time, they were waiting. God, you said there is a coming king. You said there is a coming Messiah. We've been in Babylon. We've been back. We've been here. We've been there. And still, we have no king. When are you going to give us attention? Well, the first century came around, and Rome... Big old Rome hit the stage. They were the latest oppressor in a long series of bullies for ancient Israel. By the time Jesus was born, Rome encompassed modern-day Portugal, Spain, France, Switzerland, Italy, parts of Germany, the Balkan states, Greece, Turkey, Syria, a lot of ancient Egypt, and the Mediterranean coast all the way to the Straits of Gibraltar, and of course, Israel. And if we're honest, we look at a map, we're like, oh, ancient Rome is big. But when you talk through the list of every country that they encompassed, you're like, dang, that is a big country. It is huge. All, anywhere the Mediterranean touched, they were in control. And by the end of the first century, they had started to invade England. So they started to go overseas. But taking control of Israel meant taking control of their government. And taking control of their government meant they set violent and brutal puppet kings in place to oppress and get Israel on board with Big Daddy Rome. But worse for Israel than their puppet kings was Rome's actual king, Augustus Caesar. 31 years before Jesus was born, Augustus became the very first emperor of Rome after annihilating any opponent that stood in his way of clamoring for the seat of power after his father, his adopted father, Julius Caesar, 
died. This was the same Julius Caesar who was murdered by 60 of his own countrymen, the same Julius Caesar that we've all read Shakespeare's play about. A tu brute, that Julius Caesar. Amidst all of the blood, all of the violence, and all of the natural means that humanity often uses to grapple for power, Augustus said, I need a claim to make sure I continue to be Lord of the world. And that was the tale that was told. When Julius died, he became known as Divus Julius, Latin to English, Julius the Divine. And oh, the Divine, what does that make Augustus? That instantly made him the son of a god. And historians and poets, they lauded Augustus for the peace and prosperity and justice he brought to the ancient world. The common men, the peasant person, they did something incredible. And they bowed down and they worshipped him as the savior of the world. Do you hear the controversy? For some of you that have been in the church, you know where this is going. Because within Caesar's world, within this new Savior's world, and 1,500 miles from Rome, there was a childless Israelite man, priest, worshiping privately in the temple. And in that private place, an angel came to him and shared this. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous." John will come to make ready a people prepared for the coming of a new king, for the coming of the Lord. In private, it was like treason was being planned in a back room. This angelic word gave Zechariah an announcement that his son would stir an uprising, that a new Lord was going to come, a new king would take the throne. And six years later, or six months later, insurrection was unveiled again by an angel, but this time not to a man, but to a virgin girl named Mary. The angel said, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. In secret, the heavens had spoken. There was going to be a new king, a new lord, a new son of God. It would not be another Augustus or Julius. It would be a Jesus, a Messiah, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, the real Savior of the world, the one who had been anticipated and waited for for over six centuries. This is the controversy. To say that Jesus would be king? Oh, that dethrones Augustus. That denounces Rome. 
and that decrees that there is going to be a new order for the world to follow. And time would tell us that this order was not going to be written in the gruesome blood of Jesus' enemies, but it was going to be written in his own blood as a sacrifice of love for all people, friend and enemy alike. And it's controversial because in our modern era, we are largely absent of kings and queens and empires and monarchies. And in their absence, we have made ourselves our own rulers. In an era of freedom, of opportunity and privilege, we have become servants to ourselves, our own materialism, the things that we want, and our desires to consume. And if we really admit that Jesus is king, it would be a declaration that removes us from our throne, that it would denounce our power and say over our own lives, and it would make us subject to a new king. Loving all demands that we live differently. And that's the controversy. Because we don't want to live differently. We want to live and love the way that we have been taught to by the natural law and order of our world. Might is right. Power makes you win. But what does it mean to love or live differently than the world around us? Well, conveniently for us, there is a great story in the New Testament, in the second half of the Bible, in one of the biographies about Jesus called Luke. Jesus has a conversation with a wealthy, well-read, morally concerned, and very religious man about this matter. It's in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 28. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to live differently or inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus replied, well, well, what's in the law, man? Like, what do you read there? How do you interpret it? What do you think the law says we should do? And he answered, well, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. Duh. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus answered him, you got it. You answered correctly. You did it. Bingo. Way to go, man. Go and do that. Live like that. Go and live this way, and you will find life. So the well-read, wealthy, very religious, and morally concerned man knew what living differently looked like, and he, I guess, figured that he had kept it all pretty well. He assumed that he loved God with all of his life, every thought, and with his full physical ability. But what he didn't account for was how he treated his neighbors or those around him. So I suppose he was thinking something like this. Maybe, maybe I haven't kept this perfectly, but I, but I love most people, really. I mean, I treat my family well. I treat my friends well. I don't treat my aunt well, but she's a nutcase, so total excuse. But really, I think, I think yeah, I think I love most people. I, I love all people, is what he thought. But then I think a thought slipped into his head. Those Samaritans, you know, everyone hates them. Everyone hates the Samaritans. No one really likes them. They kind of called it on themselves, really. I mean, look at them. They're dirty. They don't really love God. They live in the God-forsaken wrong neighborhood. There is nothing really redeemable about them. Like, so that's, I mean, I I don't love that. Shoot. 
I guess that's not really all people. Wanting an out. Wanting an excuse because he knew he didn't measure up to the full, all perfection that God had asked for us. He looked at Jesus and he said, what do you mean by my neighbor? Like, who is my neighbor? And just as controversial as Jesus' arrival was into the Roman world, Jesus' response to the well-read, wealthy, very religious, and morally concerned man turned his understanding of love upside down. Jesus told the story of, a good, of many good men, of well-read men, of wealthy men who walked a path from one place to another. And on their way, they found a man who was beaten, robbed, and on the brink of death. And all of these men passed him. They moved on. But then a Samaritan man came along. And a Samaritan man is the sort of man that a wealthy, well-read, very religious, and morally concerned person hated. And the Samaritan man saw the man in suffering, and he bent, bent down, looked at him, picked him up, brought him to an inn, cared for his wounds, spent of his own time, money, resources, and then left. But before he left, he told the innkeeper, anything that this man costs you, let me know, and I will come back, and I will pay the full bill. And then Jesus looked at his well-read, wealthy, very religious, and very morally concerned person, and he said, who had the most mercy on this man? Who was his neighbor? And his man responded, I guess the type of man I hate is the type of man who shows mercy. Loving differently, loving all, will sometimes mean, and often means, moving towards others in crisis instead of ignoring it. And I want to add on to this, also not causing it. Because ignorance is sometimes the same, to let something continue. Because they were ignoring that man, but they were also, well, the, the ones that passed him by were ignoring the man, but they were also going to then be responsible for his death because their ignorance meant I don't care about his life. It's not worth it to me. An Advent conspiracy is our opportunity to get close to those in crisis, to embrace suffering, to live out what is ultimately this audacious challenge of really loving each other regardless of our addresses. This year we decided to partner, as I mentioned earlier, with um, the Chicago City Life Center. It's on the south side of Chicago. It's in the neighborhood of Inglewood. The south side is a place most of us know very well, knowing our families grew up in those places. Pastor Charles Moody, who leads the center, is dedicated and laser-focused on partnering with people to bring restoration to the inner city. And Pastor Moody, he is not ignoring crisis. He is embracing it. It is not a secret to many of us that Inglewood is one of Chicago's most violent, depressed, dangerous places. And driving through the community, it is, it is not hard at all to notice vacant lots, abandoned buildings, the dirty streets, and if you look a little bit closer, all sorts of great debauchery that comes to places like that. It's not hard to see what is wrong in Inglewood, and it is very easy to give up hope. And where some have given up hope, Pastor Charles Kahindi and his team 
they have a vision. They've given a vision because others look at the people that are traumatized by the inner city. And I don't use the word traumatized lightly because if you consider the things that happen in war-torn places and look at some of the inner city problems we have throughout our world, trauma abounds. But Pastor Charles and Kahindi and their team, they have dedicated themselves to embracing trauma, to finding those that are hurt, lost, broken, beaten, abused, and saying, come and follow me. They bring life skills, hope, the gospel. They teach people how to pray. And as these people in their neighborhoods, as their neighbors, as our neighbors, they begin to have hope. Pastor Charles and his team look at them and they say, I commission you now. Go and do what we have done for you, for others. Bring hope to the hopeless. This is what loving all looks like. Loving all is controversial because it challenges what we believe. Loving all demands that we live differently to love God and others in a way that we typically just reserve for ourselves. Loving all moves towards those in crisis. It doesn't ignore it or cause it. But more than anything else, loving all celebrates Christ. When the angel, when the angel came to Zechariah, he told him that his son John would be a trumpet or a mouthpiece preparing the way for a new king. It was said of him that this news would spread to what? To many, many who had gone astray and turned their backs on God. And this is fantastic news because it is a great joy when those who are lost are found. It is a great joy because, like I said, six centuries of people learning hopelessness now have hope because I heard that the Messiah is coming. Many would come back, and many is a great number, and it's worth celebrating. But many is not enough for God. Many is not enough, because his heart is to love all. He didn't want to love most of us. He didn't want to love just the best of us. He didn't want to love the richest, the smartest, or only the most normal of us, or the most moral of us. He didn't want to do anything but all. God turned our natural world upside down when he said, I am here to love all of you. And in order to show that reckless, radical, nonsensical, or unworldly kind of love, he needed to do something that he had never quite done in the same way before. God sent himself as his son in the form of a baby, to live among us, to amidst, amidst our chaos. And he wants us to turn our world upside down with love. And he was famously announced by the angelic chorus to shepherds, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. For what? For all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born unto you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is the sixth century king that you have been waiting for. This will be a sign to you. You will find this king as a baby, wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Not the sort of king that seems could go to toe with Augustus. Not the sort of king that could go to toe with Julius. Not the sort of king that they had expected but he was the foretold king nonetheless. 
Jesus came not as a tyrant king commanding allegiance and stealing power, but as an infant boy born in a humble farm shed, surrounded by peasant shepherds, adoring him with worship. God saw the world in all its brokenness. He saw the chaos that men like Julius and Augustus had caused, and he said, I'm moving close. I'm changing my address. God sees the crisis that happens in our community, in Lamont, in Homer Glen. He sees the bills that go unpaid. He sees the family members that are ill. He sees all of it. He sees our crisis. He more than sees it in places like Englewood. And he says, I'm changing my address for you. I'm moving close. God didn't ignore us. He intervened on our behalf. Loving all celebrates Christ because it's exactly what he did for us. He entered our crisis. He showed us what it looks like to live and love differently in our natural world. And he did it all because of his love for us. Do we hear this? Christ came with one purpose, to bring us back to him. It is celebration, it is honoring, and it is Christmas for us to live in our world focused on bringing others back to him. That is a gift the church, whether it's us or another, need to give wherever we are. And my challenge for us, not just this Christmas, but all year round, every day of our mortal lives that we have left, is to live that out. Long after this season is over, I want to challenge us to search out ways to love all. You can call it volunteering. You can call it a mission trip. You can call it whatever. Find ways to truly love all. Whether you're single, whether you have a family, whether you think you're too young or too old, find a way to love all, to get close to those that are in crisis, to get to places you said you would never go, to say it doesn't matter, there is no disclaimer on my love, because... The wealthy, well-read, very religious, and morally concerned man had some conditions to what loving all looked like. But Jesus' love is unconditional. Some ways that we can do that in just a few days, Hope and Friendship, who we've partnered with time and time and time again, we'll be packing family meals to send out to our community for those who either do not have, cannot prepare, or are not able to be we are going to be there to bring those meals for them. So I encourage you to come out and join us for that. And of course, another way that we can do this, as we've been promoting throughout this entire series, is in our last week of Advent Conspiracy, to go above and beyond the generosity that you had maybe previously budgeted for this time of year and say, God, I am giving you more, but not just more money, more change to this world so that those in Englewood can have hope. As I mentioned before, Charles and his team, they go above and beyond to transform the traumatized lives of Englewood, to bring restoration to Chicago's South Side, to bring restoration to a hope that most people say it's hopeless. We've raised over half of our goal of $25,000. We have just over $11,000 to go. I believe we can do it. I believe today is the day, but I believe it not because we want to hit a financial goal, not because there's, there's an amount of money we've committed to, but because the heart of our community, our church, 
is to give more and love all. By restoring brickwork, we are ensuring that Charles and Kendi and their team will have years and a long future ahead to work towards that restoration of Englewood. As we wrap up today, I just want to encourage you very simply to love all, regardless of stigma, regardless of place, regardless of difference, and make that an action. Whether it's, you know, on the giving boxes as you leave, I would love for that because I would love to smash that goal and make the phone call to Charles be like, we nailed it, we're done, we got it. But more than anything else, I want it to be our time, our hearts, our attention in this world. I am hearing more and more from organizations that we don't need money, we need people who are willing to love others. I mean, obviously the kingdom runs on both. But my challenge today as we wrap up is to do both, to live both and in faith and works. So as we wrap up, obviously we have the response of the giving. But if you're here today before Christmas and saying, I've completely missed it. I have been consumed with consumption. I've been consumed with this Christmas that is not Christ. Our prayer team is going to be available for you to pray with them. So prayer team, if you want to come forward, if you're like, I need to change my Christmas attitude today before Christmas actually happens, I encourage you to come forward, find one of our prayer team members, and just let them know, this is where my heart's at. I've been consumed with getting my checklist done, and I have completely forgot that Christ is part of the picture. And then for the rest of us, if you're like, you know, I feel like I'm in a good place, let your heart, your pocketbook, your actions show it. Give to Advent Conspiracy. Meet us on Christmas to deliver those boxes at the Old Quarry Middle School. Love all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you. Father, we thank you that the greatest gift you gave us was yourself. You gave yourself not just to come down and like the kings of centuries reign over us with, with a heavy hand, but Father, you came and you said, I love you. I am here to serve you. You were the prince of peace. You were called a servant. You were called a counselor to hear and understand us. Father, you have grace for where we've come from and truth for where you want us to go. And Father, I pray that this Christmas season that we would accept that grace, that truth, and be radically transformed by who you are in our lives. Father, I pray for generosity to erupt from our hearts, not just in the next week because tis the season, but Father, throughout the year because we are the people that you have called, that you have anointed, that you have appointed to bring restoration, to bring your kingdom down, to love all so that the world would be transformed. We thank you that you have called us and you have equipped us. And we pray today all of this in your mighty and holy name. Amen.